Good morning. We'd like to welcome you to church this morning. Please stand and join us as we begin our service of worship, singing our praises to our Heavenly Father together. Yeah. 
John chapter 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light in the life. In Matthew chapter 5, he said, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everybody in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, and that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin. The light of the world is Jesus. Like sunshine at noonday, his glory shone in. The light of Oh! 
Thank you for being here with us, and not just when we gather in this place, but every moment of every day.
calling us to yourself. We thank you for your grace upon our lives and upon our worship. And we pray that you will continue to be glorified as we continue to worship you. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others here in worship today. number of things uh, in the bulletin uh, for you to uh, be involved in and just want to mention that uh, this Wednesday night our uh, children's clubs begin uh, and you can see their uh, boom club for ages two to four and uh, girls club kindergarten through sixth grade and boys club kindergarten through sixth grade and uh, we're looking forward to a great year of ministry with our children on Wednesday nights. It's always a joy to, um, to have our uh, young people feel a call to ministry and to do that in a variety of settings, in a variety of ways. Um, and it's always fun to have them come back and tell us about what God is doing. And this morning we have the privilege of hearing from Zach Smalley and uh, his ministry uh, in Colorado. Uh, thank you, Pastor Wes, uh, just for this opportunity to speak to you guys today. Uh, my name is Zach Smalley. You probably know my parents, Bob and Lori Smalley. Um, I know most of you guys because uh, I grew up here uh, and grew up coming to Houghton Wesleyan Church. Um, my wife, Erin, couldn't be here today, um, but she and I are the program directors and we're missionaries with a ministry down in southwest Colorado called Crossbar X Youth Ranch. And we're a ministry uh, that exists to um, provide kids that are in uh, socially and economically disadvantaged backgrounds um, with knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we seek to do. We work with um, kids from ages 8 years old and up um, from the Four Corners area, so kind of local to Durango. Um, that's where the camp is located. And also from the cities of Denver and Albuquerque and Phoenix. And we bring kids from all in there. Um, and we do kind of two main things. Uh, the number one being summer camp. That's what most of these pictures are from. Um, and then we also do, do uh, year-round discipleship with the kids throughout the school year as well. Um, so in everything that we do, our main goal is to present the campers with the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, whether that's through the fun activities that we do through the camping or the horseback riding or the ropes course, uh, fishing down at the lake, you know, any of those things. Um, that's our main goal through all those. So in the summertime, I mentioned we've got a lot of fun activities at camp. Um, it's great to be a part of, um, and as program directors, we get to oversee all the fun stuff. So we, we really have the best job at the camp. Um, but also the kids get two gospel-centered lessons a day, one in the morning and one in the evening, um, also accompanied with, with worship. Um, and it's you know, our heart's desire that at the end of camp, they go away with at least an understanding of the gospel and what that means for them. Um, and then during the school year, as I mentioned, um, Aaron and I, our main job is to do what we call camper follow-up. So we do a lot of mentoring um, of kids, a lot of discipleship stuff, we put on retreats, um, coffee houses, and Bible studies, all those sorts of things um, to continue on the relationships that we build during the summer to encourage the kids in their faith throughout the rest of the year. Um, 
One of the awesome things that I love about Crossbar X is they're committed to making camp available to any kid, um, no matter what their financial situation is. Most of our campers only pay a $40 deposit to come to either a five-day or a nine-day camp. Um, it's pretty unheard of in the, in the camping world, and it's great. And, you know, even if kids can't afford that, we'll match them up with the donor and get them there to camp. Um, we keep camp very small. 200 campers a summer is, is as big as it gets. Um, our biggest camp this past summer was 35 kids, and that's kind of our max capacity um, just because we want to focus on building relationships with these kids, spending as much individual time with them as we can, and getting to know them so that we can follow up with them throughout the year. Um, so that means only 35 kids a week, five kids per cabin, per counselor. That's pretty great. Um, just an awesome model that they have set up there. Uh, we also seek to support their families. Many of our kids come from really uh, just sad backgrounds. Um, we get a good number of our kids from the foster care system. Um, most, if not, yeah, I'd say most of our kids come from either single parents or, or divorced families. Um, parents are deceased, they're living with a relative, situations like that. Um, and I was just thinking what to share with you guys. Um, God kind of led me to this verse. Um, in Titus chapter 2, 11, this is kind of what we're trying to share with our campers um, with the knowledge of the gospel. And it says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Um, that's, that's what our campers need, need to hear and need to, to be uh, um, exposed to through what we do there. So um, I could talk for a long time about this. <laughs> so if you have any more questions about camp or anything, I'll be hanging out after the service, and I'd love to talk with you. I'll be also around for the rest of the week if... Um, anybody has more questions for me that thank you um, again just to Houghton Wesleyan Church uh, this place and the people in this room are a huge part of my spiritual development um, and I'm, I'm very excited to be able to, to kind of come back and share where God has brought my wife and I um, at this point and uh, again thank you for that um, let me know if you have any questions and God bless thanks This time I'd like to invite the ushers forward to assist us as we give back but a portion of all that God has lavished on us. Jesus, friend of sinners, we have strayed so far away. We cut down people in your name, but the sword was never ours to sway. Jesus, friend of sinners, the truth becomes so hard to see. The world is on their way to you, but they're tripping over me. Always looking around, but never looking up. So See you. 
some time praying together this morning. I think it would be a, a good idea. I'm going to have uh, Zach is, where did he go? He's up there now. Uh, I'm going to have him come back down and kneel here at the altar. And maybe some of you um, who know Zach have, uh, you know, want to come and gather around him and pray for him as we pray for him as well as as we pray for the other uh, burdens and concerns of the world. 
So uh, if you'd like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, you want to come and, and gather around Zach and pray for him, please come join us at the altar. Father, we thank you that um, you are the friend of sinners, which means you are the friend of all of us. We come today recognizing our imperfections, our struggles, how often we fall short. And yet, Lord, we come in your grace and your mercy and we thank you. Father, today we pray for the burdens and the needs that we represent this morning. We pray, Father, for all who are grieving today. We pray for all who are struggling with issues of health. We, uh, we pray for Dave Doherty, and we thank you that uh, in his uh, fall this week that he has uh, come through that, he's home. We pray you continue your healing in him. We pray for your continued healing in David Heisinger and Evelyn Heil. And for Alice Brown and Florence Tuber and Bunny Austin, for Mike Raybuck, Jill Tyson, Bruce Brenneman and Bev Rett and Micah Christensen, your continued healing on Linda Roth and Dick Gould, Crystal Blake, Emily Crickler, and for others who are on our hearts and minds today. Father, we pray for our world. We pray for people who are struggling uh, to recover and, and come out of terrible disasters that have struck them. We pray, Father, for the nation of Haiti as they are in the season of elections and there's a lot of upheaval and instability and we pray, Father, that you will bring peace to this land and that you will bring a great outpouring of your spirit and may your people be at the forefront of seeing your grace displayed. We pray for our brothers and sisters who face persecution throughout the world Continue to minister to them and to give them grace and courage and strength for the difficulties they face. And Father, we pray for Zach and Aaron and thank you for calling them to this ministry at the camp. We thank you for the things that they have seen happen and we are praying that we will continue to see great things happen. As they touch young lives one by one, a little bit at a time, in ways that, that they may not even understand are happening. May there be miraculous results. We pray your spirit on them as they do follow-up and throughout the school year, as they plan for next summer's camps. We pray that your anointing and your blessing will be upon Zach and Aaron and the whole camp and the children that they touch, that there would be life change through your spirit. Father, we thank you for your grace upon us. We thank you for your mercy in our lives. Continue to help us see, sense your spirit at work in ways that we might not have dreamed possible. As we continue in worship today, Lord, continue to speak into our hearts. And we ask this in the name of, the power of, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
After the scripture reading, children ages 2 to 5 are dismissed for Children's Church. This is from Acts chapter 4, verses 8 to 22. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see that the man who had been healed was standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they performed a notable sign. We cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They couldn't decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. This is the word of the Lord. Stand as we sing together. Who, oh Lord, could save themselves? Their own soul could heal. Our shame was deeper than the sea. Your grace is deeper still. You are the 
Before my friend became a Christian, you could talk to him. He was normal. Now every conversation is condemning something about my lifestyle. All he does is keep telling me all the things I'm doing wrong. I can't believe the church has turned him into this kind of negative person. I hate working on Sundays because that's when the Christians come in. I feel like I'm a project around my friends who are Christians. Why would I go to a church? They've already thrown heaps of guilt on me and condemned me before I've even stepped my foot in the door. Christians are so opinionated. The church is full of just a bunch of angry people. Church people think that they have all the answers and are more than willing to give them to you whether or not you ask for them. I feel like I have to fit into their mold before I'm really welcome in the church. The church is judgmental and negative. Christians are hard to tolerate. I don't know how Jesus does it. We have a problem. I know it's not representative of every church. It's not representative of every Christian. But there is, in many ways, a general sense of negativity about the church. And we want, when we hear that, we get defensive and we want to say, well, that's their problem. But the reality is, people have negative perceptions about the church because of us, because of Christians. Now, granted, they are perceptions and they may not, they may not carry all the truth... But we tend to live in our perceptions. You think about people that you don't know real well, but you see from the outside, and you perceive things about them. And that's how we feel about them. And as you heard some of these comments, you, you get a sense that, that, that people are thinking, I don't really want to have anything to do with the church. And that's a problem because Jesus says to his disciples, including us, you are my witnesses to the world. You're going to represent me to the whole world. And if our representation of Jesus comes out so that people respond this way, then what are we doing? I saw a picture recently uh, about, maybe some of you have seen the picture of a... Um, you have two, uh, two cliffs, and there's a chasm between them, and God's on one side, and people on the other side, and Jesus bridges the gap between them. And it, it doesn't tell everything about the gospel, but there is something, something about that and what Jesus is doing when he comes. But there, I saw a picture recently that shows that there is a second chasm that has developed. And it's not that people are getting from God, from, from themselves to God, but they have to also get from themselves to the church and then from the church to God. And there is this sort of second chasm that has developed out of how the church is perceived. 
that has created this atmosphere that caused people to want nothing to do with God because they have negative feelings about the church. And somehow that ought to be important to us. Now, I've been pondering why that is. What is it about the church that creates this atmosphere in people? And again, it's not representative of everyone, but it's the perception that a lot of people have about Christians. And why is that? I think sometimes it's because people perceive, think of that the church sees them as a project. You know, that, that they're only, they only want to be around me. They only want to have anything to do with me because, they, because I'm a project for them. And it's almost like we are salespeople. And, and we're trying to get people to sign on the dotted line. When in reality, our goal is to build relationships with people. Now, sometimes we say, oh, I'm going to build relationships with people so that I can share the gospel with them. But even that is manipulative. Tim Keller says, we often talk about friendship evangelism. We ought to just be talking about friendship. You know, we build relationships with people. We love people. We we build friendships with people. And in the course of that, if we are truly friends, if we truly have a relationship, then the things that are important to them are going to come into the conversation, and things that are important to us are going to come into the conversation. And that means at some point, we're going to talk about Jesus. But if our mindset is, I want to be friends with this person so that I can talk to Jesus, then it really has the feeling of manipulating people. When I look at Jesus, I look at the early church, I don't have a sense of them saying, we're going to be, we're going to make these people a project, but rather, I just love people. I read about a pastor who said that he kind of got a sense of how people view the church in that sort of manipulative style when one one summer his church decided they wanted to to be a part of a a community event parade that their town was was hosting. And and their church wanted to help with it because they loved their town and they they wanted to be a success. And and so they they went to the open meeting about it and they said as soon as the, the leaders saw these representatives from the church show up, you could tell they got real nervous. And they and they said you know, we're, this is about the event, this is about the parade. There's not going to be any, nobody's going to be able to propagate their ideas. Uh, nobody can hand out things. And he said, we got the feeling that they were hoping that that would then make us say, okay, we won't do this anymore. But he said, that's not why we were there. We were just there because we love our town. We thought this is a great event and we want to try to help make it successful. And we stayed. And because we stayed without any kind of an agenda, we started building relationships with people. And just that caused people to see the church differently. In Acts 17, uh, Paul is in Athens. And he's walking around. He's looking at all the idols everywhere in town. And and he's burdened by this. But a great idolatry all over the community. And he goes and he meets with the people who who discuss different theological and, and philosophical ideas. And he begins talking to them about Jesus. And they're intrigued by that. And so they take them to, to the leaders of their, of their discussion. And, and he begins to, they say, well, let's hear your ideas more. And he talks to them. And what he says to them is, I see you guys are very religious. I see your idols all over in your shrines. It's obvious to me that you care deeply about spiritual things. And in fact, I saw a God, that you, uh, one God is named, the unknown God. And I'm here to talk to you about that God. And they listened. Because 
Paul started where they were instead of expecting people to come to where he was. And I sometimes think that's also an issue we have. We are expecting people to simply listen to us with, with no connecting point. And Paul makes that connecting point. And not everybody agrees with him. Not everybody listens. But some do. And we create this atmosphere in which conversations can take place in a civil way. And it doesn't mean that we... You know, to, to build relationships without the agenda, to connect with people where they are, doesn't mean that we are watering down the truth or ignoring Jesus or pretending that we're not Christians. It's just that we're trying to create an atmosphere in which people are much more apt to listen than the kinds of atmospheres we might be tempted to create. I mean, isn't that the goal? I mean, isn't it our goal as followers of Christ that we create an atmosphere in which people are more apt to hear about Jesus and to listen and be open to Jesus than about being close to Jesus? Again, it doesn't mean that we ignore the truth. When, when, Peter, when Peter and John stand before the council and you read their sermons, they are clear. This is about Jesus who is crucified and risen and is returning and, and he has come into the world. I mean, their message is clear. But something about the way they share it causes people to listen. It's fascinating to me in chapter 4, verse 13, as they're standing there, the religious leaders say... You know, they're astounded because they have a sense of boldness and courage. And we need a sense of boldness and courage to speak the truth. But we also need humility and civility. When Richard Mao was here a few weeks ago, one of the things that he said that intrigued me and struck me, he said, you know, we, we had kind of had the perspective that being civil and having civility and convictions are as though they're like they're opposite ends of the spectrum. And some people choose civility and some people choose to stick to their convictions. And he says, why can't civility be one of our convictions? Why can't being civil be one of the things that is primary to who we are as a follower of Jesus? Often, it's not what we say, it's how we say it. It's the attitude and the spirit in which we say it. We can talk to people as if they are sinners and we're not. Or we can talk to people in a way that expresses this mindset that we are sinners, that God has done something in our lives, and we'd love to share it with them. And we're not compromising the gospel. We're not watering down the gospel. We're simply being civil and humble in the way we share it. I mean, after all, isn't what we're trying to do is share good news? When Jesus is the beginning of his ministry, he says, and recorded in Luke 4, he says that he came to preach good news. I bet if we did a poll of people who, who have, you know, are not Christians, have nothing to do with the church... I wonder what people would say if we did a poll and said, do you think Christianity is good news? I would be intrigued by what people would say. It's 
fascinating in this story of Peter and John that the, the religious leaders have nothing they can say to Peter and John because about what they've done because the good work of the gospel, this man who's been healed, is standing right next to them. And they can't argue about that. It's good news. Something about what we share and how we share it, for some, some reason, sometimes it doesn't come across as good news. It comes across as judgment and condemnation and arrogance. When all the while, our message is good news. You know, when he was here, Richard Mao talked, told a story about uh, a Jewish rabbi who came to visit him who had had a terrible experience in his childhood of, of, with Christians. And that later he said to Richard Mao, you know, that's the first time I've ever felt safe with a Christian. Something in that conversation was good news to him. Philip Yancey says, one of the tests of our love is when people, uh, when, that people are glad to be around us. The people who know we're Christians like spending time with us. Something about our lives exudes good news. It exudes a positive spirit. Because after all, well, what are we trying to communicate to people? That Jesus Christ is the answer to the burdens and the struggles and the bondage of our lives. That Christ wants to set us free. That Christ wants to do for us what we could never dream possible. Christ wants to make us the people that we were created to be. He wants to fill our lives with joy and love and peace and grace. That's the truth of the gospel. And is there judgment of God? Of course there is. But the truth of the gospel is judgment is only because people reject Jesus. And sometimes people reject the gospel because of the way we communicate about Jesus. Good news. At some point, the, as the disciples stand before the, the religious leaders, they make this profound statement that they took note that they'd been with Jesus. I think that probably at its heart it means they recognize them as Jesus' disciples. They had seen them hang out with Jesus when Jesus was on earth. But underlying that is sort of this, this other sense that what they see in the disciples looks a lot like Jesus. And that's our calling. That's our responsibility. That's our privilege. That we live our lives in such a way that we look like Jesus. Dorothy Day, the famous Catholic worker of the earlier part of the 19th century, used to say that, that we ought to live our lives in such a way that they only make sense if the gospel is true. Our lives only make sense if the gospel is true. There's something profound in that statement. N.T. Wright says he has a friend to this day, a Jewish woman, who whenever her children babysit for Christian couples who are out 
you know, in the, visiting in the prisons or helping with hospice or, or working at the youth center, and someone asks where they are, their answer is always, oh, they're out being Christian. There's something profound about that statement. And I suspect the fact that they connect that kind of positive, loving behavior with being Christian is causing them to be a little bit more open to Jesus. And it comes back to who we are as the people of God. We talked last week about having a hunger for Jesus, that being filled with the Spirit that changes us and transforms us as it does the, the disciples in that in Pentecost at Pentecost in Acts 2, is comes out of a hunger for Jesus. And that's really where what we are as a church and who we are as a church is rooted. It starts with having a hunger for Jesus, of wanting to be like Jesus, of wanting to be filled with the spirit of Jesus and letting Jesus transform us. Have we arrived? Of course not. But the whole point of this is that we are living in the tension between what we are and what we're intended to be. But instead of, of acting like we've arrived... We're transparent enough with people to say, look, I'm on the journey myself. And God has done amazing things in my life that I could never dream possible. I am, I am so far from what I was, and it's all because of Jesus. And somehow, I'd love the opportunity to talk to you about that. I'd love, or even better, for people to say something about your life communicates grace that I'd like to understand. Mother Teresa used to say that first we meditate on Jesus and then we go out and look for him in disguise. The going out and finding Jesus as we, as we go out into the world starts with meditating on Jesus. When we come to this table this morning so that we remember our lives are rooted in grace. Everything about us, everything good that's about our lives, everything that's positive about us, anything about us that looks like Jesus is only because of the grace of God in Christ. It starts here. And this table is a table of humility and the sacrifice of Christ that changes us. And we come to this table this morning and, and, it, and we see anew the grace of God that makes us who we are and transforms us and changes us and is the heart of the good news of the gospel. I read about a, a spiritual leader who, who once said, we don't need to worry about what the church think, what people think about the church. You know, they're... They're not Christians. They kind of do their own thing. They just have a warped view of it. We, don't, we shouldn't be worrying about that. I couldn't disagree more. And it matters how people perceive the church. Because how people perceive the church has a lot to do with how open or closed they're going to be to God. How people perceive the church has a lot to do with, with how, how willing people are to, to open their lives to Jesus. 
how much they're willing to listen and to hear the voice of God and the people of God. When we talk about the church representing Christ, it has to be the greatest risk that God ever takes. Because Jesus didn't leave a book. Jesus left the church. The church to represent him to the world. What an amazing risk. An amazing responsibility, but an awesome privilege as well. That through the grace of God in Christ, we get to go into the world and represent him. And wouldn't it be awesome if because of Christ in us, because of people seeing Jesus in us, because people might look at us and say, something of Jesus shines through them. That instead of the perceptions of the church that we heard a few moments ago, maybe we would hear perceptions that sound something like this. My friend Susan isn't afraid of my questions. I struggle with so much in life. Even though I don't always take advantage of it, I know that the one safe place I can go and find help is in the church. My Christian friends are my favorite people to be around. They don't do some of the things that I do, but they never judge me. I love talking with them about Jesus. Although we disagree about a lot of things, Joe continues to care about me. He didn't stop being my friend when I rejected his faith. When our family went through a crisis a few years ago, the church down the street got us through it. I have a friend who's a Christian. No one is a more compassionate listener than he is. I wish I would have known earlier that not all Christians are such jerks. I had no idea. Maybe I would have believed in Jesus earlier. Father, as we contemplate what it means to be your witnesses, come to this table and recognize your grace and mercy in our lives and we give you thanks we know that everything we are that has any good is because of you and your grace father as we come to this table we pray that you'd pour out the abundance of your blessing on the bread and the cup that as we eat and drink we may know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts and our minds and every part of our being. That we might go forth to be people of grace. Father, we thank you 
with the gift of Christ. May we be filled with the abundance of his blessing. We pray this in his name. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, meeting with his disciples, he took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, take, eat. For this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. This morning we are receiving communion by the mode of intention. It just means to dip in as you're released by rose, come to the front. Tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup and eat it, and then return to your seat by the outside aisle. Feel free to stay and pray at the altar. It's always open. If coming to the front is difficult for you, we do have a tray of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seats, and I have gluten-free wafers and cups here for you. If you need those, just let me know as you come to the front. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time you've ever worshipped here, but if you come today with your heart open to God and with the desire in your heart to be filled with the Spirit and to, to be people of His grace, then come, receive these gifts from His gracious, loving hands. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. I hear the Savior say, strength indeed is small child of weakness watch and pray find in me thine all in all Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain he white as
Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace as you go to shine his light in a needy world.